welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. Before we get started, just a reminder to sign up for my newsletter at jasonperera.ca. Now, on today's show. Today on the show, I have Dr. Randy Knipping, Medical Director of the Deerfields Clinic. The Deerfields Clinic is an integrative medicine clinic that focuses on human longevity and performance. And I brought him on, even though this is not a conversation about money, to talk about health challenges facing business owners and how integrative medicine can help basically fix those issues and get ahead of challenges in their health. And with that, here's my interview with Randy. Hello, Randy. Hi. Thanks for taking the time today. It's my pleasure. So, Dr. Randy Knipping of the Deerfields Clinic, tell us about what it is you do before we get started. So, to put it in context, I started off my career as a cell biologist before I went to medical school and published a couple of articles in neuroendocrinology, which is brain hormone chemistry. So I really thought when I got to medical school, I'd end up being like a doctor researcher. But it was actually in med school that I got inspired. And what I observed is that most of the patients you see in the hospital who are sick actually did not get sick overnight. I was one of those docs. Somebody would throw a chart my way and say, Knipping, go see the chest pain in room 403. And I'd say, does the chest pain have a name? (laughs) (laughs) Because I kind of wanted to be, I was interested in the story and the narrative. So I I usually tried to figure out, you know, the context. And it turns out that most people who have chronic disease or worse, you can identify factors 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years before they get sick. And I felt that conventional medicine, which is really important, we need diagnostic and therapeutic solutions for when people get sick. But we spend essentially no time identifying the health trends that lead to sickness. And that really was the first thing. And then the second thing was I was a cell biologist. So if you look at how medicine is organized, we have generalists, you know, the family doctors and that. And you have specialists, but the specialists are all organized as organ systems. But it turns out that organ system dysfunction occurs at the level of the cell. And it was surprising that there isn't a specialist in clinical medicine who is a cell biologist. Think about like a clinical biologist. And so I was really interested in the cell biology of sickness, of aging, and so on. So after medical school, I made sure that I did postgraduate training in conventional medicine, but I spent the last 35 years training in nutrition, fitness, stress, sleep, toxins, gut health, epigenetic, metabolic, hormonal balancing, and optimization. And so that really is sort of my DNA. That's what I was interested in. So Deerfield came around as a result of really a number of different attempts to try to bring preventive medicine. So what happened was, you know, my practice, my medical practice has always been sort of a combination of conventional medicine. So family medicine, emergency medicine, trauma, et cetera, some aviation medicine, and then preventive medicine and executive health. So I was the founding medical director for the Cleveland Clinic in, in Canada. 
And when I started with them 15 years ago, I really wanted to bring functional or integrative preventive medicine into the mainstream. But unfortunately, at that time, there was still a lot of resistance to bring functional medicine. Even though it's evidence-based, most of the literature is in the cell biology literature. Uh, clinicians typically are involved in disease care. So they don't know the literature. They prescribe drugs for diseases. And they don't understand you know, how to take a history, a lifestyle history. They don't understand metabolism and that. So, so I was unsuccessful. So one of my clients, Jim Wilson, who owns uh, Wilson Truck Lines and a number of other companies, we decided to start Deerfields. And so Deerfields is essentially an executive health clinic with a focus on preventive medicine and integrative health. And that's what excellent. Well, it's interesting because I mean, I feel like the we can all find periods throughout history where some line of business or some field gets caught up in an old paradigm and it takes a while to change, right? I mean, even something as simple in our day now as germ theory took a long time to be adopted, right? Like just washing your hands and sanitizing before medical procedures was laughed at for a while until it was absolutely proven and became a second or a preconceived belief. Now, I mean, what you're kind of describing is, you know, what was almost the industrialization of medicine within the cohorts of individual use cases, as opposed to the integrative approach, which is, again, it's not where human beings are not cars, right? You're not fixing the brakes, the engines, everything else separately. They all work together. So compelling story. And as I'm going to mention, in, as I'd mentioned in the intro, I brought you on, you're not a financial conversation directly, but you are indirectly. And what I mean by that is, it's pretty straightforward and obvious to anyone who's ever started a business or runs one that the stresses that a business owner face are substantially greater than that of just having to go and be the simplest form of an employee, which is show up, do a job, go home, leave it all behind. We never leave it all behind. So I wanted to talk to you specifically about the health challenges facing people in those situations and how, you know, some other questions around basically how to treat that. So in general, the first question is, what do you see from your business owner clients that is different than everybody else? Yeah, so that's really interesting. And I think your, your intro is really apropos because you know, when, you, when you have the responsibility and the sweat equity to grow and develop and expand and stabilize a business, your attention is laser focused on that. Most entrepreneurs have an incredible capacity to concentrate and actually to concentrate at the expense of everything else. Hmm. So typical clients that I'm seeing is you know, they're coming into my clinic. They're 40, 50, 60 years old. They've made their 10, 15, 20 or, or more millions of dollars, but they're 5, 10, 15, 20 years older biologically than their birthday. Think about that for a moment. That's, so they have, that's, that's a high price to pay for wealth. Congratulations, you have it, but not much time to enjoy it. But you see... They don't know it. So if you understand something about an aircraft, an aircraft can continue to fly quite successfully until it slows down to the point where the aircraft stalls. And so there's this sudden and catastrophic loss of lift that occurs. And so it's the same thing with human health. As long as you wake up in the morning and nothing is physically wrong, you will continue as if it's the same as yesterday. But if an underlying biological process has resulted in an organ system to reach a point of threshold failure, then suddenly 
you know, suddenly you're going to experience symptoms of that organ failure, whether it's a heart attack or whether it's, a, you know, a diabetic symptom or something like that. So I have a lot of clients who come in who have experienced pretty significant financial business success, but they recognize at some point in time that they've paid a price. And when they see their family doctor, the family doctor might do an examination and say, well, you're fine, you're normal. But that doesn't mean that they're optimal. So they often find themselves continuing to ask the question, look, I don't feel like I am as healthy as I was, and I may not be sick yet, but what can I do? And that's when, that's when I get involved and when they ask me for, for my advice. So let's talk about what you mentioned earlier about they come into you and biologically they're older than they are according to the calendar. What does that mean and how do you determine that? Yeah, so I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, looking at people's physical activities, right? If you take the average 30-year-old and you compare their strength and their cardiovascular fitness, you're not going to find a homogenous group of 30-year-olds. You're going to find some who might be amateur or professional athletes. And their functional capacity is at the top end, maybe the top 5% for their age. And you'll find others who have spent the last 15 years practicing becoming a couch potato. And they can barely go up a flight of stairs without getting short of breath. But they're technically not sick. So if you look at the bell curve, the continuum of what conventional medicine calls normal, those two 30-year-olds are considered normal. But clearly, it defies logic to think that they're not in some material way different. And what's important is that just because you're normal doesn't mean that it poses no risk to you. I can tell you that the future health of the couch potato is clearly going to be much worse than the professional or amateur athlete. So if you think about things like nutrition and fitness and stress and sleep, and toxins and so on, you can imagine that what conventional medicine would can think of as being normal is just, well, you're not sick yet. I think that most people, if you want to purchase a service, you want the best service that you can purchase. If you want the best performance from your body and brain, then you need to know what the best practices are. You know, if you're going to invest your money in a business, you're going to want to know what, how successful this business is and where does it match up to the competitors. And you're going to want to pick the top 10 competitors in the industry and say, you know, are we, are we engaged in best practices? But that doesn't happen in clinical medicine. Clinical medicine is, are you bankrupt yet? And if you're not bankrupt, then you're fine. See you next year. It's completely crazy if you think about it yeah. in financial terms. So for me, uh, my clients get very interested in, I want to be in the top five or 10% of my age group so that physically and mentally, not only can I withstand stress and perform better, but I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. I don't want to retire with $20 million and spend the rest of my retirement seeing conventional doctors and having surgeries and medications. Yeah, it's almost like the difference between we're just going to put out the fires versus, you know, prevent them from happening in the first place, right? By the time the fire is happening, there's a toll that's been taken. So there's a really nice analogy that you can use to describe with in detail what the difference is between an integrative doctor and a conventional doctor. And the analogy has to do with your financial performance. As mm -hmm. a business owner, how often do you check your balance sheet and your cash flows? 
depends on how neurotic you are about it. But if you're responsible and you're successful one, it's probably daily to weekly, but no less than monthly. Right. So in traditional business, you would want to have at least a quarter, you know, want to see what your quarterly performance is. Absolutely. And your year to date and your historical information to get a sense. So imagine that you had a financial advisor and the financial advisor says to you, don't worry about your daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly performance. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do an assessment at the, at the year end and see whether or not you're making money or not. And if you develop symptoms of bankruptcy, we'll deal with it then. I'll Randy, unfortunately, you, you just described the conventional advisor relationship, unfortunately. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I'm, yep. I'm blessed because you're my financial advisor. <laughs> I think it's important because people understand how important it is to keep your fingers on the numbers. You've got to know exactly. what's going on. Because if you're beginning to decline, if you're taking withdrawals from your equity and you're not making deposits in your equity, then what's happening eventually, you're going to run out of equity. Well, yep. why can't we measure health like that? Why do we have to wait until there's a symptom or a bankruptcy state or a deficiency? You know, it's like if you know if you go if you take your car for a drive, let's say you wanted to drive to London, Ontario, or let's say even further, let's say you wanted to go to Montreal or Winnipeg, how do you know when to fill up the gas tank? There's an indicator. So if you're not measuring your health, then how do you know until you run out of health? Yeah, and exactly. this is what I do is we use biomarkers to measure your physical and mental functional capacity. And then we track it on a quarterly basis and see whether or not you're reaching your goals or not. And for some people, it's a big shock. They come in and they have no idea that they have so little balance left in their health account. And that's often the, the motivational factor for them to make changes in their daily, weekly lifestyle, you know, improve their metabolism, their hormone balance, and so on. And it's very gratifying because people actually feel better and look better, and they are better in the short and the long term. And, you know, and that, for me, as a, as a former eMERGE trauma doc, I'm actually feeling I'm having a bigger impact on someone's life than jump-starting their body or, or uh, whatever else I had to do as an eMERGE doc. Mm. Now it's the prevention's worth a pound of cure, right? So let's talk about the negative implications of the status quo. So, you know, you see a lot of people who are business owners, executives, high performers in what it is they do. What is the negative impact on their business performance, on their personal relationships? I mean, we were talking about health. Like, how does that all boil down to how is it negative, a net negative in their lives? Well, you know, I mean, it's a good question, and I would say that there is empiric data on this. When we've studied executive performers, for example, with respect to stress, the ones who seem to have the greatest resilience during times of unexpected economic downturn are the ones who have actually invested in their mental health by making sure that they have a robust lifestyle. So we know, we know that people who exercise regularly, who eat healthy, who get a good night's sleep, and who have skills that help them master stress. So they have behaviors. They have a person or a behavior or a skill or an activity, maybe some mindfulness. And they have trained themselves to become so resilient that when, when the stress emerges, they have more mental bandwidth available to them to actually problem solve. If you're spending 50% of your bandwidth thinking, 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 worry, 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 well, when you're thinking and worrying, you're not problem solving. 
So resilience is the ability to have and to maintain a calm, clear, and stable state of mind in spite of what's going on outside of your mind. That's true of CEOs. It's true of military commanders. It's true of anyone who is responsible for financial or public safety. You've got to be able to have all of your resources available to you to bring to bear to the problem solving. And that's really where conventional medicine, I mean, just literally fails to provide that for for people. It's funny. There's a kind of a a saying or known um, phenomenon is that if you want to, if you're at a conference uh, in my industry and you want to see who the top performers are and breakfast is at eight o'clock, go to the gym at 630. uh, That's funny you'd say that. I was at an integrative health conference in Las Vegas about three years ago, and I get up very, very, I have a very disciplined early morning ritual. I call it TBM, training the body and mind. So I get up around Mm -hmm. 4.37 and I do my hour and an hour and a half of training the body and mind. So the gym was open at 6 a.m. And in Las Vegas in a hotel, there's nobody in the gym at 6 a.m. So I get there about five to six and there's a lineup of about 30 doctors. I've never (laughs) seen it before. And the trainer comes in and he's looking around like, what is going on? They open the door within five minutes. The gym is filled and the trainer asks, what's going on? He says, these are all integrative docs. These are all guys who walk the talk. Well, yeah, they all care about performance, right? That's it. I have never, ever seen a gym full in Vegas at 6 a.m. So remind me never to book a conference in Vegas when there's an integrative health uh, conference going. I'll never get in the gym. Okay. So let's talk about now course correction. So beyond the conventional medical system of basically putting out fires, how do you, with integrative medicine, help course correct the negative impact of, of, of their health? So the first first thing for sure is engagement. It's very important for my clients to know that I have listened mindfully to exactly what their symptoms and signs are. And it's very important that I speak to them and I communicate to them mindfully to help them to understand precisely what they can do to achieve their goals. So unlike most doctors who ask you, what are your problems? I do ask those questions, but ultimately I come to what's called your goal list. So whether it's optimizing your body composition and your physical functional capacity, or whether it's optimizing your libido, your sexual functioning, or optimizing your metabolism, or reversing cardiovascular risk, whatever those goals are, I try to make sure that the goals that we work on are the ones that you have picked and that are important to you. And then I articulate a set of daily and weekly lifestyle rituals, epigenetic, metabolic, and hormonal optimization to achieve those goals. So the initiation of this really begins with an an engaging conversation and process of assessment and collaboration to establish the plan. And then what we do that's also very different is that I see my clients every quarter. And so what we do is we measure progress. And in the first quarter, we have a lot of touch points. So I have other staff, exercise physiology and nutrition and clinical assistant staff. So in the first quarter, the touch points are usually weekly for the first month, that bi-monthly. So that by the time the first quarter rolls around, I see three kinds of outcomes. Number one, I see individuals who are early adopters. These are the ones who do exactly 
what we agreed to, and they are experiencing results. Then I get the early relapsers. They're the ones who start, and then somewhere along, they got too busy to keep doing this. So I see those. And then I have the ones who I call failed implementers. They're the ones who come in, they spend the money, the time, we get the program going, and they don't even start. But I want to see all three of them because all three of them have specific needs. And what's important is that my job is to inspire all three of those to start again, start again, start again. If you wait for a year, you've lost the opportunity. But a lot of times, a little coaching, a little encouragement, and and guess what? The ones that didn't knock it out of the park start to get results. And then that becomes the wind in their sails. Yeah. As a former failed implementer, there is something about the accountability of having to come to you every three months and make excuses that on some level they're true, on some level they're BS, and you just know it, right? And and that that constant coaching so the uh, is thing, definitely the I would say is that I don't use the word accountability. And the reason for it, I mean, you know, I, I spent a lot of time training in uh, in behavioral medicine and psychology at the at the at CAMH. And and one of the things that people assume is effective when it comes to lifestyle behavior is guilt, shame, and fear. Well, it turns out that the empiric research suggests that not only does guilt, fear, and shame not work, it's actually counterproductive. If you make a patient feel guilty or ashamed or afraid, they won't come back to you. Well, I prefer to use the term inspiration. I would say to someone, imagine if you had 20 pounds less belly fat. Imagine if you woke up in the morning fully rested that your joints weren't painful. Imagine that you had no brain fog, that you were able to very effectively cope with the stressors of the emails and the demands and so on. And imagine if you felt younger and your sexual functioning was better and you felt your relationships were improved. How would you feel about that? Well, that's completely different than if you don't follow my advice, you're going to die a miserable death with a limp, you know what. Fair enough. Important is vision, it's passion, it's being realistic, and it's the engagement and the fact that I'm here to serve you. I'm not here to judge you. If you want somebody to judge you, just talk to your mother-in-law. Okay. So let's now talk about the end results. So I want to talk about the feedback you've gotten. I mean, I we've, we've personally shared stories uh, about the impact you've had in people's lives, but I think it's important to to talk about these. So in general, the feedback. Once people finally decide to as I say, when you ask me what 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 inspired the change and for you to actually start doing this is is the, I just realizing I had to just shut up and listen to you. And when I did, I was better off for it. Tell me about the feedback you get from people once they finally adopted the approach. So, I mean, obviously, in any medical practice, you've got a continuum of success. And you're mm-hmm. asking me about you know the top thirty percent of my clients who are successful, and there's no doubt that it's life changing. But it depends a little bit on what their starting position was. So clients who really did have a lot of needs, who actually followed through, the results are pretty astounding. So, you know, I have clients who have lost 100 pounds of fat. I have clients who have stopped all of their diabetic prescription medications. I've had clients who have had angina and problems with uh, coronary artery disease who either couldn't or wouldn't have bypass surgery or angioplasty with stenting. 
where we were able to reverse their coronary artery disease using evidence-based medicine. So a lot of lifestyle changes, epigenetic, metabolic, hormonal, chelation therapy, all of these things are things that a conventional doctor might get hairy eyeballs. But actually, if you look at the, the actual published data, there's good evidence that supports an integrative approach. So I would say that in terms of physical and mental well-being, it's definitely very, very satisfying for me as a doctor, former eMERGE trauma doctor, to see the kind of results and clearly fits in what I, what I want. But not everybody is a responder. So, you know, so the challenge always is, how do I pick up where my patients left off when they have relapsed. And those are the patients actually I have the most interest in because as a psychologist, I'm very interested in what are the real or imaginary obstacles. And what I find is over a one, two, and three-year period, I can convert probably 80% of those back into the mainstream of optimal health. And that's even more heartening. I mean, if you think about it, those are the individuals who have really been failed by the conventional health system. But it takes one, two, or three years. Yeah. So as long as they don't get sick and tired of me and they keep coming in, it's like they get they eventually realize I'm not there to judge them. Yeah. And eventually make changes. Those are the ones that are the most fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the the fact that there's a price tag attached to this too is valuable because, you know, I found myself asking myself at one point, like, if I'm not going to listen, why am I paying for this? And I'm not going to stop paying for it because it's only going to better me. So my only other optional choice is to actually start implementing and stop making excuses, right? And that's, I think that's, you know, the, this, the internal chat that many of us have to have once we're, you know, when we're making excuses for ourselves in progression, but it, eventually it works. So, Let's uh, let's talk about. Um, I mean, you've given me <laughs> several kind of productivity hacks over the years, uh, but I want to focus on for. Well, I want to get to those, but I want to focus on first just some best practices that people can implement that are going to have an impact in their lives beyond the conventional exercise and eat right. Like those are the things we hear from everywhere. What right. can we do? What can the average person, the average business owner, starting out, do to build that resiliency in their lives? So the first thing I'm going to say, this is a medical disclaimer. Do not take anything that I'm recommending right now as medical advice. You do need to make sure that before right. you start anything I'm about to tell you about, that you have a competent physician who's trained in the area, an expert in the area before you start. So here's a couple of things that I find very helpful when I work with business owners who are too busy. And the way I work is instead of telling you, I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, you probably know the answers, but I think it's important for the audience to have a sense of how do we come to these kinds of conversations. So the first thing is, is what is the minimum effective dose of exercise in minutes that has a meaningful and measurable benefit or outcome? Minimum. What do you think most people say? Most people are going to say half an hour, an hour, 20 minutes. Yep. There's no doubt that 30 to 60 minutes of exercise four to five days a week is considered optimal when it comes to fitness. But four or five hours is more hours than most executives would actually perceive to be doable. So it's mm -hmm. a non, they will not do it. So what I say to them, I say, and as long, and again, here's the disclaimer, as long as you don't have underlying coronary artery disease or other diseases, I say to them that if you did 10 minutes of high-intensity interval training, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute, three times a week, that's a total time of 30 minutes, 
That is equivalent to doing 50 minutes of continuous aerobic activity on the same machine five days a week. So three times 30 is 90 minutes. Five times 50 is 250 minutes. Dr. Knippe, you cannot possibly tell me that doing three 10-minute exercises, so 30 minutes a week is equivalent to 250 minutes a week. And so I tell you, it's not my opinion. This is this is absolutely empirically true in the exercise physiology literature, but it's not 50 minutes of just continuous activity. What you do is you do two minutes of a warm up, let's say on a bike or an elliptical trainer, and then you do a 20 second all out 100% sprint, two minute active recovery, 20 second sprint, two minute active recovery, 20 second sprint, three minute cool down. You do the math, it's 10 minutes. That is equal to 50 minutes of just sitting on the bike and doing continuous activity. And it's because it creates such a supply-demand mismatch that it stimulates the genes to build up capacity. And that's what you want. You want the metabolic effect and the cell biology effect of exercise. And so what happens is my executives will say, hey, I can do 10 minutes first thing in the morning. And then they do it. And what do they find? I got more than 10 minutes. I can maybe throw a few weights as well. And so now you understand the most important part of lifestyle medicine is it's not about starting off with a perfect program, but it's starting off with a ritual. If you can ritually do exercise every weekday morning, first thing in the morning before your morning shower, then you are three times more likely to be exercising a year from now and if you do anything else, including joining a gym, you know, spending money and spending an hour on a machine, which involves half an hour of getting there and half an hour of getting out of there, it takes two hours out of your day, get out of bed, 10 minutes hit, you're done. And I'm going to tell you, that has been probably one of the most outstanding bits of advice I've given over my career, because it initiates people who are not exercise people, gets them started. Yep. And I'll tell you, it sounds sounds like not much time and you're not really pushing yourself for that long, but my goodness, do you feel it? Another example would be stand desk. You know, most people spend most of their time as an executive sitting on their butt. And the problem is, is that's the worst thing for your knee and your hip health. Uh, Sitting is the, the greatest risk factor for developing arthritis of the knee and the hip. But more importantly, is that your metabolism is lower when you're sitting. So you're much more likely to accumulate belly fat. So another thing that I suggest my clients to do is to get a sit-stand desk. But the reason why they should use a stand desk is not their health. It's their performance. So it turns out when you're standing, you are about 20 to 30 times more productive and resilient and creative than when you're sitting. Do you know why? I don't know the answer to that. No, why? Because your nervous system is more alert when you're standing Because evolutionarily, when you're standing in the field, it means that you're subject to predation and competition. It's a evolutionary survival mechanism to be more alert. And sitting is halfway to sleeping. So imagine if you stand up and you have 20% more productivity. That means you get 20% more emails done for the same unit time. Now, what's the value proposition? Everyone who does it, they never sit down again. They like the productivity too much. And the side effect is they burn a few more calories and their knees and their hips don't hurt as much. Bonus. 
Yep. Uh, it's interesting because this is one of your tips that I adopted. And at first I was like, yeah, standing desks really. And then it wasn't that it was like, okay, it's not that big a priority. Then you mentioned the productivity boom. I'm like a boost. And I was like, okay, now you're talking my language. And I kid you not. I remember the first time, the first week I had it, I was also in ketosis, which we can talk about later. And it was like someone just lit a match under me. And I was probably like, I was like, I cannot believe how much more productive I am than this. It's so I can, I can testify with certainty that that is not just a claim. Uh, my own user review is, oh man, yeah, that helps. In fact, I will say as we're talking, I opened up the uh, stand, the very desk website, because now that I'm working from home more, I don't have a standing desk at home and it's been bothering me. <laughs> so I just need to bite the bullet and get it done. Yeah. So, I mean, you can get these little scissor lift platforms you could put your computer and keyboard and mouse on and just put them on your dining room table and then just be able to to lift it up and down i mean that's what i have set up at home but i can tell you i mean i i invested in my staff and jim invested in uh, wilson and Trailcon, so everybody got a sit stand desk it was their option everybody's using the stand part go figure yep yep so, and I will say that I will probably spend about 80% of my day standing and about 20% sitting down. So sooner or later, you, get, you want to sit down and relax for a little bit. But yeah, I mean, and there's there's other, I mean, I've been hearing for years about always take phone calls while standing up because you're not more aggressive, but you're more alert and attentive. And I always, I did that and I found it to be true. So this was just kind of an extension of it for me. So highly endorse this change uh, is what I'm going to say. What other little hacks do you have for us? Well, so, you know, I don't want to give away everything. <laughs> no, no, not everything, of course. I would say probably, and I wouldn't even call it a hack. I would say that most businessmen and women have adapted to very demanding business environments and relationships and issues. So stress is probably one of the key factors that distinguishes what you can get from an integrative doc than from conventional doc. Because for stress to become an issue for a conventional doctor, you have to have a diagnosis of anxiety or depression. And that's what we're talking about here. We're mm -hmm. talking about the moment to moment, thinking, 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 worry, 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 worry. And so one of the areas that I found to be particularly effective is the teaching of my executives uh, the skill of mindfulness. Now, I started meditating in 1971, and I started teaching meditation in 1986. So I've spent all of my adult life in the world of mindfulness, and it's really only been really the last 15, 20 years that it's become mainstream. And it's become mainstream because it's no longer presented as a Buddhist or religious or mystical phenomenon. Uh, neuroscientists and psychologists all over the world have adopted this as an important tool in their in their practice because it's effective and it's something that you can do for yourself. So in a nutshell, mindfulness is the ability to observe your conscious mental stream without judgment and without engagement. In other words, imagine imagine that your house is about to burn down. Where would you rather be? Would you rather be in the house or would you rather be on the sidewalk watching your house burn down? Where would you rather be? Oh, definitely on the sidewalk. Now, yeah. in both cases, it's a horrible thing to see your house go down. But in the second case, you're not burning. So mindfulness is the ability to observe thoughts and feelings that are unpleasant without experiencing the magnitude of unpleasantness which leaves enough mental bandwidth 
for you to actually make important decisions and judgment. Mm -hmm. And this is, it's easy for me to say this. It's when a client agrees to a one-hour introduction of mindfulness and actually can experience it that I find that's when they really can hit a home run because then they do their 10 minutes of high intensity interval training in the morning. They do a 10 minute meditation. That's another thing, you know, most meditation instructors do have no clue what executives have in terms of demands. So if I tell you to meditate for an hour every day, it's a Mm non-starter, but empiric evidence suggests that 10 minutes of meditation every day for eight weeks begins to produce changes in the brain that can be detected by functional MRI scanning. So there's actually chemical and structural changes in your brain that occur with a 10-minute morning meditation. And so there it is, TBM, training the body and mind. 10 minutes of high-intensity interval training, 10 minutes of meditation. You take your 10, 15-minute shower. You take your morning hot beverage and off to work you go, guess what? That makes a huge difference in the course of the first quarter and every quarter thereafter. Yeah, that, that was one area I did not resist. I um, I'd actually meditated, meditated for a while before we met. It actually came out of me listening to a lot of Tim Ferriss's podcasts where he interviewed a lot of top performers. Right. And he'd ask like he'd ask about rituals, routines, and it was one person after the other. Meditation, meditation. And I finally said, okay you know what, I got to try this, you know, downloaded an app, never look back. And I find I go through periods where I I get away from it and come back. And I can tell you this much two weeks after if I don't meditate for two weeks, I feel an actual impact on my ability to cope with stress. It is quite remarkable. I just want to make one more comment. And it's, you know, I think it's really important to understand that that meditation is something that really most effectively has to be taught by an experienced instructor. There's a lot of individuals who believe that you can transfer this particular skill using an app or using a passive form of video education or YouTube videos and so on. And there's no doubt that any form of learning when it comes to mindfulness is good. But the empiric literature is very clear that being trained with a qualified, experienced teacher is superior. I'll give you an example. You wanted to go fly in a private aircraft with a pilot. Who would you rather fly with? Someone who attended ground school and had a a flight instructor teach them how to fly or somebody who learned how to fly from the internet? Yeah, 100% is an obvious question. It's funny because it's a corollary with my industry is do you want to listen to the DIY stuff out there or do you want to go to someone who's actually got the credentials and the history and the experience? Agreed. There is no substitution for professionals. Definitely kind of off topic, but we've seen an erosion of the value of the professional in the last 25 years. Yes, we have. Because of social media and because of internet, everybody can do everything. You can buy your own house, you can navigate your own mortgage, you can do divorce, you can do your own renovations. And, you know, and, and people think that simply knowing something makes them professionally competent. What they don't know is all the problems and pitfalls that you have to anticipate. And it's only a professional with experience like you that really knows how to navigate the financial waters. And be very careful not to sort of establish too much deluded pride that just because you intellectually understand something, you therefore are an expert. 
Yeah, uh, there's a difference between reading a couple articles and living a life within it. And uh, unfortunately, you're right, society all too often tries to discredit it. And also, there's, I think there's a misconception of what professionals are and that, oh, they're supposed to have the right answer at all times. And the answer is no, we're, we're not. We're not going to have the right answer at all times. We're going to have more informed answers than, than the average and probably have better outcomes because of those, that information. But that's, that's a side note, Dr. Knipping. This has been fantastic. I sincerely enjoyed it, and I hope everybody takes away the key hacks. Where can people find you if they want to reach out? So uh, Deerfields Clinic, we're online. So deerfields.ca, that's uh, deerfields with an S.ca. And we offer an initial complimentary virtual needs assessment with me. So what I do is I spend about 20 minutes with prospective clients, uh, usually telephone or Zoom. And I basically spend a lot of time listening mindfully to what it is exactly that's going on in your body, your mind, and what your goals are. And then I make recommendations that you can choose to adopt or think about. And I find that the personal needs assessment is probably the most powerful tool to help people understand what it is that we do here at the clinic. But the website is is pretty extensive. We have a very, very active social media. So we prepare and, and print out information to, you know, on a daily basis, on weekdays. Sometimes we even post on the weekends. And of course, I've got a whole team of healthcare professionals. We're growing. We'll have four uh, doctors by the end of the year and developing some very interesting additional programming. And it would be, it would be wonderful to hear from uh, some of your uh, clients. Well, this is out there for anyone who wants to listen, not just my clients, uh, but I will endorse your services. I've been a client for many years, and it has definitely had a significantly better impact in my life. And um, I get to, <laughs> when I get the reports and come home, my wife makes sure she reads them every time. And uh, seeing the positive progress is definitely valuable. Well, I want to also mention that when I first met you a few years ago, one of the things about being a doctor is that doctors have a tendency to think because they're good in clinical medicine that they're good in everything else by some sort of general osmosis. And clearly, my financial acumen was not great. So I got to tell you that within a very short period of time, you discovered a, uh, a tax issue that ended up putting an additional $750,000 into my pocket. And I had been with accounting firms and other tax lawyers and so on, and no one had picked up on something that had such a profound impact on my uh, financial status. So I was very impressed with the fact that you're not just a tax person and you're not just a financial planner and you're not just a a security planner, and you're not just about about life insurance and so on, but you do that full circle. And yeah. I got to tell you, it uh, has made a big difference in my life. So I'm equally a- admiring your uh, professionalism, and I and I'm grateful for it. Well, you do have mutual admiration society going, that's for sure. And I will say this much: uh, the corollary there is both of our practices are about the client's success, and we can only measure ourselves through their benefits. So. We'll also say anyone who's wondering what that is, that that opportunity is now closed thanks to a couple budgets ago. So <laughs> unfortunately, that's the end of that. But nevertheless, we did get you in in time. So that was that was fantastic. But Randy, thank you yet again. Very much appreciated. Thank you for the ringing endorsement. And uh, again, uh, I do encourage everybody to take a look at your fields and the services offered. My pleasure. Thanks very much, everyone. Clean your hands, wear a mask. The future is going to be not face-to-face meetings, but mask-to-mask meetings. And don't let the invisible zombie apocalypse get you down. (laughs) We'll come through this. Take care. Cheers.
So that was my interview with Dr. Randy Knipping at the Deerfields Clinic. I hope you enjoyed that. I can see we do have a mutual admiration society thing going between the both of us because we've quite frankly had very positive impacts in each other's lives. So as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever's at your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.